This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. Welcome to Browns Film Breakdown, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer over at the OBR, writer over at Cleveland.com, coming at you guys on what is now Tuesday night. You'll be listening to this on Wednesday, more than likely. Hope your week is going well. Uh, just got uh, back yesterday from the press conference that was, you know, an introduction for so many different things. It felt like it almost felt like the turning of the new calendar year. It was it was quite the spectacle. I have I have been up to several uh, training camp days. I've been into the stadium to cover games live. This just uh, it just sort of felt different. And there's there's a multitude of reasons why, which I laid out at the OBR today. If you had a chance to read that uh, for subscribers there. Um, but normally you get into a little insight as you go into, you know, Berea, you go into, um, you know, the Browns building, check in, turn right. And then a couple doors down is the media room. And I've never really had a problem with too many people being there. I haven't really been there for many coaching press conference types of things, but, um, for the most part, the media room has always been, I would say about five rows deep of uh, maybe seven or eight chairs across. And when I got there, and this was a half hour before Freddie Kitchens came on, it was completely full, uh, 10 uh, mainstream uh, you know, media platform cameras in the back, which you never see, uh, at least very rarely see. It was packed, and um, you know, interviews were going on with reporters in, in NFL Network and ESPN. You could sort of just sit there and hear that. And then Obviously, uh, rows of photographers along the sides and major media outlet members uh, there as well. And, you know, Cleveland.com, The Athletic, everybody was there, as you would expect in that situation. So I had to uh, pull up to the OBR section, had to go get a chair out of the hallway. I was lucky to find one. I thought I was going to be sitting Indian style. It was so crowded, to be honest. And, and um, but, you know, I was lucky, found a chair, sat down, and it was just it was just a great environment. You Most of you watch those things on Periscope, and the Browns do a great job of allowing fans to watch those things because I think there's so much uh, there's so much to being able to see those things live and it's really important to be able to you know not just pull quotes from paper but be able to hear how the things are said because there's so many important things that come with semantics than just reading what is said on a piece of paper and it started with Freddie Kitchens who I think just hits it out of the ballpark as usual Uh, it's just I tried to tweet about it I try to give a different perspective inside those media rooms everybody can tweet a quote I try to kind of give my opinion vibe of the person how they sound, the vibe of the room, those things I try to do. And and Freddie's just really good at it. I don't think he by any stretch would tell you that he's a comfortable public speaker, but he is becoming comfortable in his own right, being able to do those things in front of people, handle those questions. And 
the way he's able to deliver a genuine message about being team first, me, you know, a we before me attitude, how he handled those things continues to impress me, continues to make me feel like the Browns got this higher right, you know, getting press conferences right and saying the right things in front of media doesn't win football games, but it's a part of it. And, and, and Kitchens is a believer in, in the process and building relationships. And I'm a firm believer too in the process over results, because if you just look at results on paper, the outcome of things, you're sometimes going to see mixed variables. And I think you have to look at you have to look at the process by which it gets there. Results don't always give you the answers, but the process and following your best process at all times is going to give you, uh, you know, more often than not, formulaic success. So I, I just feel good about the way Kitchens preaches. You know, the, the you know the team looks this way on paper, and his famous quote now, "Whoopty." whoopty do or something like that, which is, is just kind of typical him. Everybody laughs at it, but it is typical him. And he's just fantastic the way he talks about special teams and the importance of special teams. And I do think, as you notice, a lot of the trades, Eric Murray, specifically those guys, they're looking to improve special teams play because the Browns were just anemic in that department last year. And, you know, the signing of Ardarius Taylor is another one that's going to play a part in special teams. The Browns are sort of reshaping that entire unit and, um, and it's and it's smart, and I like that Kitchens is preaching it now and making sure that it is a well-known commodity as a third part of a successful football franchise is the ability to win on special teams, which is good to hear. And just his uh, general love for Odell Beckham, which is great too, getting to know the person. I, I would be surprised if, if it was – uh, anything other than I would say about 10% talk of the player, 90% talk of the person. He doesn't know the well yet, but he does know enough about him from things he's gathered and from his brief conversations with him to like the person. And I think that is what the Browns are building about this relationship with Odell is just how much they value the person that he is uh, to go along with obviously the fantastic football player. So just really cool to sit. Players came in after that and just see them together. And it's, it's different in, in terms of, these aren't guys who are rookies who are drafted and they're holding up a jersey or even even really free agent signing. They, they put four guys on the podium that are proven now. Like you have obviously Baker Mayfield is not necessarily, I'm doing the air quotes here, proven. He's had a fantastic rookie year. He has more to do, but he put together one of the best quarterbacking seasons in Brown's history and he is he has obviously shown that he has the ability to win football games from that position. We have you know, the fan base rightfully has high hopes for him. He sits next to Odell, who has proven himself a top five wide receiver in the league. Could easily make the claim for the best wide receiver in the league. You know, Jarvis Landry has a body of work that is debated uh, you know, to probably far too much by this community, but he has proven to be an effective football player, in my opinion, at all facets of his position. And then I think it was very cool that the Browns decided to bring up their Miles Garrett as a as a staple of the franchise that he is the leader in defense. I think they're trying to push that envelope as this is our guy that we want to be the face of our defense and rightfully so. I think he is a fantastic football player who's ready to jump into uh, taking over that position across the NFL. So I just I just really enjoy seeing four cornerstones of this franchise, an elite defensive end, a quarterback who's on the up and up, uh, had a you know a fantastic rookie year, and then a top three wide receiver in the league and another one with him who he he obviously values and loves and can be a really good football player and was a good football player for the Browns last year and in, in the aspects that they needed him to be a good football player so really cool to see all those guys together you know the vibe was that of excitement even from those in the media that have been there forever and have seen so many things come and go negative uh, so many things come and go that have thing they thought would be positive that hasn't yielded positive results it just felt different it felt different to me I've watched all of those press conferences over the years even being there in person 
it you know brought a different level of enthusiasm for many folks that you would typically expect to be on the negative or cynic side and it wasn't that way it was a positive feeling but it was a different type of positive uh, this is real this is a contender a leader you know leadership group here between the head coach and those four players that have a uh, a chance to be a part of a group here that could con- contend for the next five to ten years and that's something the browns fans haven't had and you should be excited there you know i left and walked across the street to my car and there's a you know 50 fans in the visitor parking lot just waiting to see if they can steal an autograph and it's you know it's it's april 1st and <laughs> there are fans in the parking lot waiting to get autographs so it's cool the the, the ore is different the vibe's different i genuinely look forward to to getting up there for otas i'm hoping to sneak up there for your otas with a friend of mine uh, as a quarterback up in the CFL, trying to get in there and take a look at how the Browns are functioning offensively, and then obviously get back for training camp too. It's exciting times. The Browns, with the with the new head coach, are going to be a little ahead of schedule with the rest of the NFL uh, as a part of the new coaching hires. They get a a bump up in the calendar and more time together, so that'll be exciting too. Um, you know, the Emmanuel Agba trade caught me by surprise on the way home. I think it makes sense for both sides. Agba and his and his contract year was going to be relegated to a a, uh, a backup role and needed to showcase himself more and probably felt his fit was best elsewhere evidenced by not showing up to the first day there of voluntary workouts and the Browns felt that they needed to get something back at a at a position of need for them and they did Eric Murray is far from a perfect football player might not even start here but at the at the same time the Browns improved upon a position of need I think it is uh, important for them to do that. And obviously have a player who has proven to be an effective special teams player, was the most effective as a special teams player as a rookie when he spent a majority of his time there, but uh, sort of branched off of there when he was playing more uh, defensive snaps. The, the production went down on special teams, which is sort of a, a byproduct there, as you would expect. But I do feel more comfortable with him at the strong safety position than Derek Kendrick, who the Browns did let go. I think it made sense for the Browns to save on some cap money there. I think it's obvious they're going to draft a player at that position, which we're going to talk about with a good friend of mine here in just a little bit. Um, but nonetheless, I think the Browns got better. I think the Chiefs can make a claim that they got better too, and I understand that. I was disappointed with the product that Emmanuel Agbo put on the field. Injuries hampered that, but just a lack of true pass rush moves and a lack of really uh, a high-end speed off the edge cost him in terms of his career here. I just didn't think he was he was quite as effective as many think he is, and uh, that leads to some people getting angry as he exits the door, but the football player on the field was not very good, not productive enough, and if he was better, this franchise would keep him. They wouldn't have traded for Olivier Vernon, but they didn't feel it was right, didn't feel he was the best player for that position opposite Miles Garrett, so they move on. You hope that the trade yields some good results um, you know, with, with Eric Murray, and you wish Emmanuel Ogbaugh all the best, and... Uh, you know, it's it's good for both, and I think that that sometimes can be a rare thing. And then in the other news, Duke Johnson seems to have officially made it known that from his side he wants out, uh, according to Mary Kay Cabot's report. Doesn't surprise me. I think Duke can see the writing on the wall. I think he's obviously going to be a guy who wants to cash in on opportunities elsewhere. Other teams will give him more opportunity. How the Browns play it from here, I don't know. There are multiple teams interested in his services, as one would expect. Uh, the Browns don't seem like they want to let him go for nothing. So I could see a world where the Browns try to mend that relationship. But I also can see a world where Freddie Kitchens doesn't necessarily love the personality of that player. If you look back at some of his quotes as, as the running back coach, he, he had some things he would sneak in there every now and again about Duke's personality and uh, Duke being Duke and some of those things. And I really think Freddie Kitchens is going to try to make this place a, a we over me and he doesn't want any I personality people. And, uh, Maybe Duke has settled into the wrong side of that. I'm not sure. We're just going to have to see what they get back for him. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they keep him either. So um, 
interesting times. A lot of news yesterday. Hopefully the news dies down a little bit and they can keep getting after it there at, uh, at, at voluntary workouts. And we'll keep you keep you posted as best we can. Uh, before we shift over, though, to our, our, our guest today, I want to talk to you guys about Harry's Razors. Uh, we got an announcement, as usual. Talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. So we're teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. I, I genuinely use these. I believe in the product that Harry's puts out. They have them at Target. They have them at all the main stores. Can't speak highly enough of those guys. So if you go to harrys.com slash bluewire, you can save $10 on a trial. Okay, it's important to know. You, you use a different shave brand to give Harry's a trial. That's that's going to include some free stuff for you, five Blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lather, shave gel, travel blade cover, all those things are there. So you get all three of those free, just $3 to get those shipped to your front door. So enough with those cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design, a couple durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced, overdesigned. So they bought out a world-class blade factory in Germany, and that's where they've been making blades for over 95 years. So join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your free trial by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee, which, like I said, guys, is important. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll get you a full refund. So, again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just 3 bucks. harrys.com slash bluewire. We'll be right back with our guest. All right, guys, pumped to bring in my man. You, If you have been a loyal Browns Film Breakdown listener, uh, this name is the OG, John Colosimo, my man, writer at WaitingForNextYear.com. I've loved reading his work. I, I don't take any credit for John getting the success he's had because he did it, but I made the connection for him with Waiting For Next Year because I thought it was a perfect fit. It has proven to be so. He's great at what he's doing. He's on uh, his own podcast, too, This Believe Land Is Your Land. He's the man, the myth, the legend. John, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Uh, that's a hell of an introduction, Jake. I'm doing great, man. Thanks. And uh, you're absolutely right. You definitely made the connection, gave some encouragement, and uh, it's been a great fit. So uh, thanks for that introduction. Yeah, no, you know, I don't, I don't throw that stuff around to to kiss anyone's butt or anything. I, I think you got a lot of talent. You're a busy man. He's moving to Westlake soon. Um, for all you you Cleveland folk, you you know where Westlake is, and um, they're about to to be blessed with their first child. John has followed along with my journey with Porter, who has been um, just, I mean, I, I don't know. He's been about as crazy a, a whirlwind journey as we could get for a year. So uh, we've had a little bit of back and <laughs> forth about about his upcoming uh, you know, child to be a couple weeks away, right, man? Yeah, it's a couple weeks away. I'm doing the uh, smart thing, which is uh, doing, what, like five life-changing um, experiences all in the same couple months. Uh Moving out of state, uh, getting new jobs for both uh, me and Val, having a baby, um, selling a house. So it's uh, yeah, I've planned it perfectly. Yeah, man, no dull <laughs> moments in your life. So uh, get your sleep while you can. That's my only advice. I've been tired for an entire calendar year, going on another month on top of that. I think that like <laughs> I would say, I'm inexperienced. I talk to so many more people who have a better idea of this stuff than I do, but. The only thing, I mean, it's great. It's the most rewarding thing in the world. You'll never see anything like it, the moments. But your sleep will never be my sleep. And I read a lot of articles that say this, that, that the sleep doesn't come back for like six years, a normal sleep schedule. Okay. Uh, yeah, so just be prepared for that to be different. Those times that you're like, eh, I kind of feel like taking a nap. Those days are done. you got to fit your naps around their schedule. <laughs> All those things. The sleep is the only thing affected. And when sleep gets affected, attitudes get affected, 
And, um, yeah, that's the only place we've run into an issue here or there. She's been pretty grumpy with me on occasion. Mom has. You know, it, it, it comes with the territory. So that is my only advice. That is sleep. Store up on the sleep you get while you have it. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm freaking out a little bit. Well noted. Yeah, you know, I've got a couple other friends uh, of a similar uh, scenario as you. So I've gotten remarkably similar <laughs> reviews and advice. So uh, I, I know enough now to, to take that seriously. So we'll see how it goes. I was never a napper. So, uh, you know, good. I've got that going for me. Um, Val might have a little bit of a different uh, view of that. Yeah, yeah, it's been an adjustment for Kelby, but we've we've gotten to the point now. Like six months in, you start when they get in that nap schedule, you can uh, you can sleep a little bit when they sleep and find a way to there for for that. But uh, you know, for you guys who don't care about uh, children, there might be some of you. Uh, let's shift, man. Let's shift to let's shift to football. We're gonna talk specifically. We're continuing draft prospect series. I want to talk DBs because defensive backs are an important position for the Browns. I talked a little bit in the intro about the Eric Murray trade. The Browns sit as it currently stands with, um, you know, with Whitehead in the in the secondary. Um, Demarius Randall's obviously in the secondary at the safety position. Then you also have, uh, obviously, the trade here for Eric Murray. But after that, it's very slim pickings at, at safety. And even with this trade, I think the Browns are, are going to – it's not going to change any of their approach to – if the safety is the best player available, they're going to take him. So who are, uh, John, you've studied the draft. And John writes on the draft at Waiting for Next Year. He's got some rankings up. Uh, I would suggest you guys look at those. It's always really great content. Joe Gilbert does it with him. I love Joe's work too. Um, just who are, your, yeah, who, are your, who are your top three safety? Uh, let's do, you did a top five. Who are your top five safeties for uh, not just maybe positional reviews, but like focusing on what the Browns need, um, those types, uh, box strong safety type. Yeah, I said, you know, and this is a little bit of something we were talking about before the show. Uh, and this is tricky with those DBs is even, um, you know, I can name a top five, but uh, how many how many of them are fit in what we're looking for? And with safety, you know, you hit the nail on the head. And I think that we, you know, are of the same mind for, for several of these guys, you know, especially Imani Hooker. Um, I think that he is near or at the very top of my list of who fits, you know, and checks every box for what the Browns need, um, where the right value might be in the draft. Um, Monty Hooker out of Iowa, I love him. So, you know, he's he's if he's not on the top, then then he's one A or one B or one C with somebody else. Um, so, Monty Hooker, um, you know, I love, and I know that he he doesn't quite fit the box safety. We're not going to have a shot at him anyway. But I've loved Nasser Adderley. Um, I, I think uh, if I had a chance to take him, I'd just take him and figure it out later as far as what was going on in the secondary. I know that that, um, that isn't necessarily everybody's opinion, but um, I love what he brings to the table. Um, Darnell Savage, I think, uh, brings a ton to um, – to the kind of abilities that we're looking to, to bring, uh, you know, and then we get into, you know, guys that I don't like quite as much, you know, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Um, I think it's just kind of a question of who's available when. Wow. That was my cat. <laughs> I'm not taking this out. So people are hearing that. I'm all right. All right. Now. Fine. Then I'm going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Johnson Carter Johnson. I think like the real issue here 
is uh, is just when he's going to be available versus, you know, then you're going to have Darnell Savage probably available. You're going to have uh, Amani Hooker available. So if, you know, if all these guys are kind of grouped, you know, and Juan Thornhill may be in that same um, area. So, you know, I think Nasser will probably be out of the picture um, early on. And a lot of, you know, he probably fits better as a free safety anyway. Uh, but I think, you know, along those lines of a 49, maybe some of these guys you can squeeze down into our third round pick. Uh, but if you've got all four of these guys um, between Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Darnell Savage, Amani Hooker, and Juan Thornhill on the board at the same time, uh, then there's no reason that I'm ever going to take Chauncey Gardner-Johnson personally, um, you know, or really Juan Thornhill. Um, but And there's a lot of people who really love Juan Thornhill, but that's kind of where I'm at with our, my top five safeties. Yeah, I think that the good thing is is the Browns sat around. He, there's a layer to the whole Odell Beckham trade that is that is discussed. So, um, you know, they sit down together as a staff and, and the front office is involved, and, you know, they talk about, you know the Giants. We could throw we could throw Jabril Peppers at at New York, and and that's a position of need for them. A player that's like trading a first round pick in a sense. Uh, how do we feel about replacing him? Well, there are names on the free agent market, and and right, the Browns are in the perfect position now with this safety class, which I think can be pretty good in the forty nine to eighty range of players that can that can fill that role now the role is different than what we've come to know it because it's a different role than um you know than we've seen traditionally in greg williams defense but we're going to see from wilkes a guy who needs to play the hash and cover three a guy who can play the the too high safety or play a quarters coverage you know down down the middle of the field too when called upon but a guy who can come up and play the run buddha baker type that that he used there in carolina or sorry in in uh arizona and, and blitz the quarterback a little bit too, and that's where I think that if I'm if I'm just looking at a guy who can do it all, or step down and never come off the field, step down, play slot coverage. I need a guy, John, who can who can be on the field all the time. Whether it's big nickel, give me defensive flexibility at that position, can play the run, can rush the passer when called upon from depth, or even cheating up into the box, but can set the edge and run game or shoot through again. I just that is what I see in Amani Hooker. Uh, ever since I've been starting this, he he had he had like 550-ish snaps in the slot too. So I've been comparing him to Minka Fitzpatrick. Everybody loved him last year from Alabama, and Minka had a fantastic rookie season. Um, you know, obviously for the Dolphins, so he graded out better than than Minka did. That that that's Amani Hooker graded out better oh, than yeah. him, uh, doing similar things. So to me, it's like getting that player. Uh, it, it's somehow some way is going to be something I think the Browns need to do. Now, can they get by with Thornhill? Can they find a role for him? Can they find a role for Chauncey Garner-Johnson, who does some similar things in terms of alignment? Yeah, they can. Um, it's it's going to be extremely interesting how Hooker's valued. He tested well enough for me. I think you know he's uh, he's the youngest safety in the league, too. Yeah, he would. That's or coming point. in. Yeah, and I think that's something you can't sleep on because that's a position where age matters. Uh, especially in longevity of career and development and all of those things. So he is the ideal fit for me, and if they took him at 49, I would have zero problem with it and feel like the defense got better. What do you think? 
Yeah, you know, I'm with you, absolutely. Uh, I don't know that I would have been there uh, before testing and getting all the data and stuff like that, um, although I really loved him. Um, you know, it's just you get in love with these um, guys that at that time are kind of sleepers. And when they when they start to get more attention, you've got to kind of readjust and decide whether you like them at their new position. Um, but I'm with you. Amani Hooker, I think, fits everything that, that we would want in a safety, and I wouldn't mind at all if that was the pick of 49. If you if you had to pick at eighty and say you're removing a couple of the bigger names from your board, and we'll talk corner. Say they go corner at eighty, or sorry, forty nine, or they even go someone like Greg Little or Yanni Kajust, a guy they love. Maybe a tackle is available, something along those lines, or even somebody from the linebacker position groups fall to them at at, at forty nine. Man, I don't know. Maybe they love Mac Wilson. I don't know that that dude's <laughs> value is all over the board. Um, yeah. But if they don't, my, more of the story, they don't take a safety at forty nine. Who do you have your eye on at 80? You know, that's a tough one for me. Um, You know, I think I would hope – I'll tell you what. Like there's there's a William Harris out of Boston College. I don't even know that you'd have to take him at 89. He doesn't really have the kind of production that you really want. He's an exceptional athlete. And I'm sorry, it's not quite the answer that you were looking for. Um, but if all all of these five guys were off the board, you know, maybe I'd look at a Jonathan Abram. I guess mm-hmm. maybe let me jump let me jump ship. So somebody I can grab at 89. Maybe it's a yeah, maybe it's a, it's Abram. I, I guess that's my guy. If I got to pick at 89, and all five of those excuse me, <laughs> all five of those guys are off the table, um, you know, and if. And if I didn't want to grab him, then maybe somebody late that I would grab would be uh, William Harris. But, you know, you're going a lot of athlete and uh, uh, not not the production you're looking for. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. And I feel like even if Savage got to, to 80, he would be a fun play there as well. Too. Oh, sure. He seems like I love a very, it. Yeah, he seems like a very plausible target there at 80 if they if they go that route. Um, for sure. So, so safety, I mean, we both seem settled with Imani Hooker. I think that that's where – my wish list falls. Don't get me. Don't get it twisted. I would be happy and okay with Thornhill. I'd be okay with John, you know Gardner Johnson if he gets there. Uh, those guys are fine. Those guys are test freaks, and and Thornhill's got experience at corner and all of those different things. It, it can make some sense. So um, yeah, just get me one of those guys there, forty nine or eighty. I'll be happy. Let's uh, let's shift a corner, John. Um, sort of your top. Let's do top five. We'll just do top five, and then we'll go from there and talk about what 49 and 80 might provide. Sure. So, you know, this one's easy as far as the top five. Um, it's always been uh, these guys, I think, for me, since I've been uh, really looking into the position. And it's one that I've been focused on a lot. You know, for a very long time, I was um, very much on board with a, a corner at 17 um, before the combine and before some of that testing kind of knocked that you know, out of out of the water, and then we traded it anyway, so it didn't matter. But my top five is Byron Murphy, DeAndre Baker, uh, Amani. You know what? I'm not even gonna try and pronounce that name, Jake, because I've never tried to. <laughs> but out yeah, of Penn State, I'm out on that one too. <laughs> I'm out on that one. Julian Love and Justin Lane out of Michigan State. Uh, okay. So those are those are definitely my top five guys, um, and I've got them. You know, I'll tell you one thing I did, you know, just on a little off slant real quick is the first time for the first time this year, I did a horizontal uh, draft board and I loved it. It just made things so much easier for me. Um, You know, but the uh, but the point being is that I've got all five of those guys in the same tier. 
and I think they're high quality guys, but not top. You know, they're not elite athletes. Uh, excuse me, elite prospects. Any of them. Gotcha, gotcha. Who, uh, you know, uh, some of those guys seem to be first round locks. You know, Baker and um, Murphy. Yeah, sure. you know, Murphy seems to be a, a relatively similar to uh, to our guy Denzel Ward. Uh, people talk about that a lot. Anyway, who's who's forty nine? Your realistic target that you would leave and feel pretty good about the draft if they if they got that corner at forty nine. So, you know, this is another one even more so than safety where it's so tricky because with these corners, um, we have very few guys that I would say are just going to plug and play in any system that you want. Um, So I I think it's pretty much a given that uh, Murphy and Baker off the off the board. Um, And then there's a, you know, reasonable shot that uh, Amani and Love and Lane get to 49. Now, that's not going to be the case. Not all three of them will be there. But, you know, at this point, sitting here in the beginning of April, those are the guys I think you could discuss as possibilities at 49. Um, I think of them, you know, you got some some guys in Amani and Justin Lane that, uh, you know, they're uh, the better tested athletes in cornerback in a year that not very many cornerbacks tested all that well you don't have any perfect prospects at, at corner this year um amani and lane are both converted wide receivers who are a bit raw and you will have wildly differing opinions on them depending on who you ask um you know there's a lot of guys uh, i know jeff is huge uh, over at uh, lockdown browns is huge on justin lane he's a good prospect but i think that He's a guy that you want if you're playing a lot of man and a lot of press man. That's that's your guy. And I think that's that's not really what the Browns, I don't think, are looking for. So for me, you know, at, at 49, I'd be looking at, at Love and Amani. You know, and Love has a chance to possibly make it down to our third-round pick. It's a guy I love. I think it's a guy that, well, yeah, Julian Love, love him. But... I think it's a guy that is a little bit limited athletically. I don't think he has the, you know, CB1 uh, top potential, but he has such a low floor for me. He's just intelligent. He does everything right. Um, And, you know, if I've got to get my number 49 right and my safety guys are off the board, um, if I've got to get it right at 49, I'm taking Julian Love, you know, rather than the, you know, guys that may have a little bit higher of a ceiling, but you're dealing with more variance. So, yeah, what about Love do you like? Uh, you know, he's just an extremely smart player, and I think he fits really well. You know, some of his, um, you know, where you're going to take some of his top-end athleticism, he doesn't quite hit those marks. I think he still fits absolutely well into cover two, cover three schemes. Uh, he's a great tackler, just a really smart player. Um, I just really think he does just about everything well. Um, and I think that in a cover two, cover three scheme, you're kind of minimizing his deficiencies and maximizing what he does well uh, by keeping his eyes toward the quarterback. Good, good. I like it. I haven't heard much buzz about love, but I think that's an interesting guy. Because we don't know. I mean, we don't know who they love, or, you know, for better lack of a term, love. <laughs> uh, you know, you fall in love with these players. They're lotto tickets. You don't always know who's going to pan out. And we don't have a great vibe for those types that they do really. They seem to be connected to Lane. 
Um, and maybe they feel like Justin's a, a good corner opposite side of, of Denzel due to size or some of those things. I do have some questions about bail technique stuff and in a, in a base cover three system, but, uh, you know, we're just going to have to see. I'm, uh, the good thing is I feel relatively good about those players that are there in that range of their first two picks. If you Do you have a guy at 80 you would really like? Well, I mean, I, I think that just the home run pick is if Love slips because he doesn't fit. Like I said, like we don't know how things are going to roll just because these corners – I think are a little more specialized than in other years. And, you know, like I said, I know that there's been some connection to Lane. I don't see how he totally fits, but I think the point being is that it's going to be kind of pick your favorite guy. And I don't, I think that if you took 10 teams and you have these five guys, they're going to order them very differently based on uh, who fits their scheme best. So I, I guess just the home run pick is that Julian Love slips down into the third round and we go snag him. I think that just would be a home run. And I don't think it's that crazy. No, I don't think so either. It seems to be that round two, round three of where players are aligning. You know, I, I wrote about Sean Bunting the other day. He seems to be shooting up oh, yeah. as a Ooh, like Michigan it. kid. He's a good football player. Uh, you know, rangy, good top end speed, good ball skills. I, I just think that, you know, that round two, three area for corners can be a really good area to take one. They definitely need one. They're, they're relying on TJ Carey. They're relying on Terrence Mitchell, who are, are – you know, players that, that saw an uptick in ability performance later in the year. I think Mitchell kind of started out hot. I just, you don't know. Year to year, you don't know what you can count on. And they let, you know, Brian Body Calhoun walk. And, and how, you know, how they replace that position will be will be interesting. But I know that, you know, Denzel, obviously, you have those two I just referenced. And then Phillip Gaines. But outside of that, you don't feel totally comfortable about cornerback depth because it's an injury to Denzel Ward away from being a dicey position. So, you need yeah, the and three, to go ahead. Three and three concussions his first year don't feel good, right? No, no, absolutely not. And it's it is a bigger point of contention in year two for him is staying healthy and playing sixteen games and getting his head out of the way on all this stuff because he's not gonna get any bigger and uh the athletes are only gonna grow that he's trying to tackle. So the hope is that that was just a fluke one off thing and he can he can establish himself. But you're right, John. I mean it's it's uh it's one injury away from, from something uh, desperation, you know, a little bit of a desperation mode. So the Browns need to add there. They need to add somebody they think has long-term potential here early in the draft. I would, I would not be surprised if they go corner at 49. Obviously wouldn't be surprised if they double up on corner in this draft too. So it'll be interesting. But Julian Love is the man John likes. Uh, if you haven't found any of Julian Love's work, try to try to peek his timeline. I'm sure he can either get some through there or you can find it on his cornerback rankings. There'll at least be some sort of feel for uh, how Julian plays and whether he fits a scheme and all of that stuff. So, yeah, that's a wrap. Uh, we'll, we'll probably jump back on with John in, in, in the post-draft and get his feelings on OTA time, minicamp, training camp, all that good stuff. Good friend of mine. You should be following him if you're not. Uh, make sure to... Uh, you know, follow obviously right is writing it waiting for next year. His uh, Twitter handle at J Cosmo. So J C O Z M O find him there. And then his pod he does with, uh, you know, dogs by nature, right? All those good guys over there. Oh yeah. Josh and, uh, and Mike, they're good guys. Uh, we have a good time. They do. They do. It's well worth your time. Uh, this believe land is your land. So John, appreciate you taking some time for me in a busy time in your life, man. I know there's <laughs> a lot going on. Thanks for taking an evening, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jake. Anytime. I'd uh, love to come back and discuss uh, any of that stuff uh, after post-draft. Let me know. 
All right, man. We will do that for sure. So if you're not following John, follow him. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, I would love for you to do so. Give us a review, uh, five stars, one star, whatever you want. Yell at me. I don't care. Uh, do as you please. Uh, Cleveland.com, we're going to have something on Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and some of their stuff they ran in college and whether that stuff could translate into success in the NFL. That's been a fun study. 2014 tape is not quite as clear as 2019 tape. So um, peek that on Cleveland.com this year. And then we'll also do something over at the OBR on Eric Murray, a film room on who he is as a player as well. So those are the things coming up this week. Uh, We'll probably come back at you with one more pod uh, this week as well. As usual, guys, thank you for listening and go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.